Hello and welcome back to the Arsenal Beat. In the past few months, we've stuck to special episodes and more timeless features, but we're back on the regular run for now. You can hear our review show every Monday and a preview show every Thursday with contributions from your favourite Arsenal reporters and I dare say some you probably dislike as well. I'm Markman Byrons from PA Media and today I'm joined by Kai Kainak of Football London and the Athletics Art de Roche to look back on, analyse and over-celebrate Arsenal's 3-1 win over Liverpool on Sunday afternoon. And as part of our relaunch, Gestaguna has found a new home as part of our Monday offering too. Oh, if we look at yesterday, almost before kickoff, everyone was talking about this being must win, must not lose. Let, let's go to that. How, how did you feel before kickoff? Was this one that they had to win or was this one that they could have afforded to maybe battle to a point? How did you feel ahead of the game? Uh, personally, I think it was very heavily swung in the must win uh, column, <laughs> if we want to draw it up like that. Uh, and I think that's understandable because when you looked at the points tally going into the game. If Arsenal lost, they would have been eight points behind Liverpool. So you can't really go into that game affording even just one point, really, if you want to be serious about a title challenge. So uh, going into it, I thought it was uh, warranted to be viewed as a must-win, even if it is only February. I know Roy Keane, ahead of the game, said he didn't feel that way. But if you're Arsenal you can't let the gap get too big because it's not like they're Manchester City chasing down title rivals like like last year. Um, they're a very different team. So um, I think it was warranted and I think it benefited them in the end. Uh, they started the game like they were intent on winning um, and that carried through uh, even after that little blip uh, towards the end of the first half and start of the second half. Kyle, We'll, obviously, we'll come to talk about the game itself. But I wanted to just pick your brains on a similar subject, in the sense you were at the pre-match press conference and things like that. Did you did you get the feeling was there was there a vibe, if you like, that even around the club, whilst they might not have been saying it externally, they knew as well that they had to win this game to stay in the title race. I think so. I think obviously Arteta was never going to say in the press conference, "Listen, if we lose this, we're we're out of the title race entirely." But the way that he celebrated the goals and the way that he enjoyed the win afterwards the way all the players enjoyed the win afterwards and we'll, we'll get on to all the celebrations and stuff a little bit later I'm sure but that wasn't sort of the actions of a team that thought well we've got another chance if we lose this game I think this was a team that clearly felt we need to win this otherwise we're in big big trouble and to be fair it's hard to disagree with that standpoint because Arsenal still have to go to the Etihad still have to go to Tottenham still have to go to Old Trafford with all three of those games plus an eight point deficit over Liverpool and Man City having two games in hand it would have been a real, real struggle if they hadn't won yesterday. So going into this game, I think everyone knew it was a must-must win. And yeah, with those losses against West Ham and Fulham, kind of every game for a little while now is, is must-win until the other teams start dropping points, which Man City have the capability to not do between now and the end of the season. That's the reality Arsenal are dealing with. So every game is kind of must-win. Obviously, Arteta's not going to say that because the the pressure that puts on your team is is unsustainable. But I think we all felt it yesterday and it was it was clear the players did too. Both of you can chip in here, I suppose. But is it one of the best results of Mikel Arteta's reign as Arsenal manager? Art, we'll come to you first for that one. Oh, I, I'm reluctant to say yes just yet because um, similar point to Kaya, but yes, it's great to beat Liverpool and they haven't actually lost to Liverpool in two years now in the league, which is... Um, 
would have been unthinkable a couple of years ago. But what's almost more important is they don't almost just revert back to type and lose against West Ham um, because that almost undoes all the hard work that it took to beat Liverpool. Yes, it's a great result, but earlier in the season they beat Manchester City and then they have those poor performances and results against Fulham and West Ham. Um, So that's where my head is at with it now. Yes, great result, but you need to actually build on it um, properly. You can't just almost look at it and say, oh yeah, that was wonderful and just think about it all the time. Um, You need to actually back it up, um, which hopefully they can do uh, against West Ham. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's all about what happens next for Arsenal. Um, The win was fantastic and it's kept them alive in the title race, but the reason they needed to win is because they've lost games that they shouldn't have lost and they can't really afford, as I said earlier, to do that anymore. It's a really, really difficult title race this year and having a third team in it makes it that bit more complicated than it was last season. So for Arsenal now, yes, the win is is massive and it probably is one of the best in Mikel Arteta's reign as Arsenal manager. I can't think of one that was too... Uh, too much better. I think even the Man City game earlier in the season, yes, it was a tight game, but there was a stroke about a stroke of fortune, sorry, about how Arsenal won it. This time, Arsenal were deserved winners against arguably the best team in Europe right now. And that's a real statement. And going into the Champions League and later in the season, all that stuff, it is a statement. And Arsenal have proved that they can they can mix it with the big boys for want of a slightly less cliched phrase. But I think that is yeah, the reality for Arsenal now. They they need to go and do it again against West Ham, which is a team they've lost to twice this season. So it all means nothing if you go and then lose to West Ham and Burnley in the weeks after. So it has to be followed up with some some big performances. We'll go on to some individual performances in a moment. But, but Art, have we seen a switch in mentality in this team that concedes a really unfortunate goal on the stroke of half-time, having dominated the way they did? Come out of the second half, you've lost Zinchenko to injury and you have 10 minutes where you've got your back to the walls. But actually, you you respond to that. You respond well to that. You don't suddenly shirk away from it. You know, you've got the players that take the game by the scruff of the neck. That That is a change in mentality, isn't it? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say 100% a change in mentality because I do feel like even last season, there were times where Arsenal dealt with adversity well uh, and better than they had done in the past. But what I would say is they were probably <laughs> quite lucky that, with the timing of the goal. I know a lot of people say right before half time is the worst time to concede, but they actually had 10, 15 minutes where they could almost just recheck where they were mentally. And obviously I've seen all your guys coverage on what uh, Arteta had to say at half time, And that, I guess, statement of not being sorry for themselves, um, I think was really important because uh, I was watching from home <laughs> and uh, you could just see when they were walking back at half time into the tunnel, they just looked like, like shattered, uh, emotionally drained because of what had just happened. So to lift themselves back up after that, I think it was massive um, and hopefully it gives them uh, a new, I guess, charge, uh, not just that they showed in the second half, but also for the rest of the season. And Kaya... I think it's is it fair to say that we we you know the game yesterday we had that weird own goal we had you know an absolute cluster defensively from Liverpool to give Martinelli the goal Arsenal run out three one winners 
do we forget that for the first 35 minutes of that game, Arsenal were absolutely fantastic, weren't they? Yeah, and in my first episode producing, I'm going to have to put a, a nice beep in there. So that's, that's, that's going to be a fun one. Um, yeah, Arsenal were really, really good at the start of the game. And I think really, really good for most of the second half as well. There was obviously that that period where Liverpool came out at the start of the second half and it did look like Arsenal were on the ropes a bit, but they they felt their way back into the game. And yeah, if, if Arsenal had gone on to lose that game, it would have been eerily similar to the FA Cup game where Arsenal were absolutely dominant and, and should have comfortably been quite far ahead, but let Liverpool back in with a really silly goal and, you know, another own goal. In this case, it was Kivio own goal in the FA Cup. It was Gabriel own goal this time around. But Arsenal were really, really good. And I think they've been really, really good against Liverpool in every game they've played this season. They seem to have Liverpool's number, which is not an easy feat, given that, as you mentioned, Liverpool have lost twice all season in the whole all competitions. And not all competitions, sorry, in the Premier League. So that is no easy feat. They won the midfield battle. And I think, Brian, you and I were, were talking... Um, on our way back from the press conference, we were saying how the midfield is going to be really, really important in this game. And Arsenal didn't just win it, they dominated it. They made Liverpool look quite ordinary, ordinary midfield. And that Liverpool midfield has looked quite good for most of the season. They were able to play quickly through it, as opposed to previously in the season, they've been quite slow and ponderous in the build-up. This time they won the ball high and they went straight to goal, which was quite nice to see. It really helped with the atmosphere as well, creating that many chances. And I think, yeah, that's why at half-time it was such a gut punch, because... It was totally against the run of play and totally undeserved. But Arsenal came back and, you know, I know Art said that the mentality hasn't changed, but it's improved, that's for sure. And it was a real sign of, of how much that's that's come forward. I think we could, we could sit here and talk about, you know, Declan Rice. We could sit here and talk about Saka and Martinelli, but, and even Odegaard to, to an extent, of course. But the two, the two that we don't normally talk about that probably deserve praise from yesterday, in my humble opinion, Jorginho and Kai Havertz, Art, oh, given that that you're up early to join us, normally you'd be in bed, I'm assuming. Um, <laughs> you can have your pick. Do you want to talk about Jorginho or do you want to talk about Kai Havertz? Oh, I'll go for Jorginho. Um, I, I felt, as you guys did, he was player of the match, um, deservedly. And what really stood out to me in the first half was just how hard of a job that would have been um, to actually execute at that level because the passes that were coming into him, they weren't coming into him like normal passes. They were absolutely fizzed in and he was dealing with them re- like ridiculously well. Um, but aside from that, he every decision he had to make, he made the right one. Um, he wasn't just playing deep and playing easy passes, but he was also actually joining the press at times as well. Um, and it just seemed like a complete performance from a midfielder who has been a, a really good signing um, over the past 12 months since he joined from Chelsea. I think he's exceeded most people's expectations and he's done that from very early on. Uh, I remember the Aston Villa game last year. Obviously, everyone remembers his goal, but his all-round performance that day was also exemplary, I felt. Um, so he's been really good signing um that was probably his best performance in an arsenal shirt and uh yeah completely deserved player of the match from i think sky sports it was so yeah um very good yeah i think he's one of those smart signings and he's he's what i'd almost deem you know a title winning signing and i i know they didn't go on to win the league last year but when you look at the eye-catching money they spent on rice and Havertz, and even in the past the players they've They've spent more money on. They went and got Jorginho last January when they were short on midfielders. 
you know, the hero that is Mo Onene had been ruled out for the season. And so they just need, it felt a bit like to begin with, they'd gone and got someone because they needed a body. But I think that does a massive disservice to a, to a player of the quality of, of Jorginho. And and again, like you say, oh, that shone through. You have to have some level of ability to be able to come into that team yesterday. And we spoke to, to Jorginho in the mix zone after the game and, and he explained to us just the difficulty and what he had to do to go from not playing very often to coming into the midfield against a team like Liverpool and putting in such a performance. It's all mental, isn't it? Uh, you train really well, you push hard every day to be prepared when uh, when the coach calls. And, uh, and that's what I, I've been doing, just training hard and uh, trying to be prepared for when uh, the team needed me. Right. Kaya, your turn now is to talk about Kai Havertz as a number nine. And I also thought, just to make it even harder for you, the little caveat on the end, what does that mean for Eddie and Ketia moving forward? Okay, I'll, I'll address the, the Havertz bit first because we'll start, we'll start with a bit of positivity. Um, I, it's interesting. So we do halftime play ratings on Football London, just a, a little like number in the blog. And I gave Havertz a six in the first half because I thought while he was hustling and harrying, I thought he was a little bit lightweight in some duels and he was obviously missing big chances and he got quite lucky that the rebound from Alisson Say fell to Saka because that was a really good chance and, and he didn't take it. And I just felt that maybe something was missing a bit up front. But in the second half, when Arsenal did eventually get themselves back in front and the game became a bit more Arsenal defending and Liverpool attacking and, and Arsenal looking to hit Liverpool on the counter, it was one of the most complete centre-forward displays I've seen at the Emirates in a really, really long time. It was Olivier Giroud-esque in the way he was winning duels against big central defenders. You know, Van Dijk and Canate are, are very physically imposing and, and Havertz isn't necessarily of that same stature. He's quite a, I guess, a, as a fellow lanky guy, I can call him lanky. And, you know, he's, he's, he's a wiry physique and you wouldn't expect him to be giving Canate a physical problem. But both yellow cards that Canate got were as a result of fantastic centre-forward play from, from Kai Havertz. He got his opposite number sent off and, and that was really impressive. And, and as Arsenal were trying to get themselves higher up the pitch and, and relieve the pressure from Liverpool because it can be relentless, that pressure, particularly when it was 2-1. We forget that because it was 3-1 and the last few minutes were, were quite fun. It was, it was really tense for a long period in that game. And Havertz was a big, big part of relieving that tension. So I thought he was absolutely fantastic. I think he's proved himself again as a good option up front, not a solution. I wouldn't be suggesting that he has to play up front between now and the end of the season. It seems like Jesus's injury is, is relatively minor from what Mikel Arteta was saying after the game. So I wouldn't be in a hurry to to play Kai Havertz up front from now until the end of the season. But when Jesus is out, which is becoming frequently more regular, I think I'd have to say Havertz is is your better option. And, and for Eddie and Ketty, that's, that's, that's bad news because Eddie, I don't think, would have been able to offer that level of um, hold-up play, that level of centre-forward play that Havertz was offering, which is funny because you consider Nketiah to be the more natural of the two centre-forwards. But I think Havertz played a, a more complete game, even if he didn't get the goal. And it was a much better second-half performance from him and a really mature one as well. I, I think that point you made on options, Kai, is a really big one because going into the season, that's what a, a lot of us were talking about. But we've almost kind of forgotten about it because one the lack of football uh, over the past few weeks and months. But also, I think Arteta's kind of, he's played very similar 11s in the, in the Premier League, at least. 
so we haven't seen the experiments of Kai Havertz up top, the Jorginho and Rice partnership in midfield for a while. But in those early games, like against Manchester City, for instance, um, Rice being at eight and that really being key to how Arsenal pressed in those games was a big feature. Kai Havertz up front in the community shield as well. That was almost setting the tone for what we saw yesterday. Um, so I think it's really important from our side as well to remember that these things aren't just new, that they have actually been worked on from at least the summer. Um, so it's quite interesting to see them come into play again when we haven't seen them for quite a while. Well, as we left the Emirates last night, obviously we leave hours after the fans leave. Um, flashing lights, sirens, the Emirates very much on lockdown and it turns out that the celebration police were in full force. Um, mad one, isn't it, really? like I, I, I don't think I've ever really understood it. I think for some reason Arsenal get tarnished with this brush. Kaya... Did they over-celebrate? Can you over-celebrate? What does over-celebrating look like? I, I'm at a loss, so please explain. I think, so there is there is potentially, I'm going to play devil's advocate here and say there, there's a degree of merit to the argument in the sense that last season, Arsenal were emotionally invested in their games at this stage of the season to a point of, I think, they were totally exhausted by the time it came to the running and Yes, they had injuries and yes, they were missing key players. And that was obviously a big reason as well as to why they were tired. But I think they kind of ran out of gas towards the end of the season because they put so much into every single game and every game had been so up and down and topsy-turvy and, and roller coaster. And I think Arsenal maybe struggled with that towards the end of last season. This season, however, I don't think you can level that same accusation at Arsenal. They dominate games, they control games, they're comfortable in, in lots of games. I know they don't score enough to... to suggest that in the scoreline but largely they don't have to emotionally go through the same ringer as they did for most of last season so that makes a huge huge difference and I think you know if you can't celebrate a win that clearly keeps you in the title race against possibly the best team in Europe right now I don't really know what you can celebrate and yeah you could argue that Erdegaard taking a, a, a photo with Stuart Juan was, was over the top I personally don't buy into that I think you know football's all about moments and memories and as much as you know, it would be nice for Arsenal to to go out and win the league. It's it's not necessarily the actual title win that you remember. It's it's the moments along the season, and people will remember that day against Liverpool, where Arsenal played the best team in Europe and, and beat them comfortably. They'll remember Man City earlier in the season, and I always think that those uh, those post match celebration police comments always strike me as a bit petulant. They always seem like especially from Jamie Carragher, who has obvious Liverpool ties and, and, and Gary Neville has and uh, you know Manchester United ties. I think it's always going to come down to after a game, you're feeling emotional and your instinctive reaction is to to respond. And I, I don't think there's an issue with that because I think, you know, everyone does it and, you know, to, to call them out for that would be would be hypocritical. But at the same time, I think hopefully over the next few days and maybe on Monday Night Football tonight, they will row back on it slightly and just say, listen, football is about enjoying these moments. And I think it's it's really tiresome to, to tell people how to celebrate. And if you're going to be doing that, then, you know, look towards the other dugout where Jurgen Klopp in the FA Cup game, where, us, where Liverpool were very fortunate to win, was giving it the big fist punts at the end to the, the, the travelling crowd. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think he's well within his rights to do it because it was a big game and Liverpool won. And 
just as it's the same the other way around. However, you could maybe go on to argue that if Arsenal drop off a cliff between now and the end of the season, maybe you can have the conversation then. But I don't think in the heat at the moment, without any of that information, you can you can really criticise Arsenal because if you can't celebrate a win, like I say, what, what can you celebrate? That's the thing as well, isn't it? Like if, if they just 11 men traipsed down the tunnel after that win, there'd have been criticism for that. You, do you know what I mean? Like where, where's the... How much can you celebrate and how much do you have to celebrate? It's a strange one, isn't it? I'm just going to read some of the Carragher quotes here. Um, he was clearly unhappy with, with what he saw. Just get down the tunnel. You've won a game, three points. You've been brilliant. Back in the title race, get down the tunnel. And then he later changed his profile picture on Twitter to one of Martin Odegaard, which is baffling, isn't it? Um, Gary Neville said it was immature. He didn't he, he didn't get put the boot in quite as much as Carragher, but... Oh, is it immature? I, I really don't get that this is a thing anymore. Like, Gail Cleese was, you know, battling the tide to kind of say, why shouldn't they be celebrating this? And and I think, you know, I'm not an Arsenal fan, but we've, so I've not got an Arsenal hat on here at all. But I just think, just shut up. Do you know what I mean? Like, these are guys that have <laughs> put blood, sweat and tears. We've just had the conversation that they've, they basically would have been out of the title race if they'd lost. So why yeah. not celebrate what is a massive win? Yeah, I think the thing is, if they don't win the title, it's not going to be because of any celebrations. So, therefore, it's not really important. Um, and it's interesting, like, I've kind of been off Twitter, like, for the past couple months, like, not as much as usual, but I dabbled a little bit <laughs> last night. And I saw um, someone make a good point that hardly any of the post-match analysis was about the football. And I, I think that's the real issue. Like, why has nobody talked about Declan Rice and Jorginho, Kai Havertz's role? Um, <laughs> and um, that's where, I guess, people start to tune out, really. So what you're saying, Art, basically, is that people should tune in to us at the Arsenal Beat because we made sure the football was front and centre at the very top of our coverage. Um <laughs> You made the point out as well off air about Jamie Carragher highlighting Odegaard and telling him to be the one to go straight down the tunnel, and it, and it is odd because he never he never does that after the game, does he? Odegaard, he's always there, he's always showing his appreciation, um, and I think it's only fair we leave the last word, uh, probably the last word just for this week at least, uh, on the celebration, please, to the Arsenal captain himself, who, who we also spoke to after the game yesterday. I don't know if you've seen it already, but the, you guys have already been criticised for, for potentially over celebrating. But can you can you over celebrate? Can you over celebrate a game as we've just all said? Is that important? Nah, I think everyone who loves football, who understands football, they know how much it means to win to win these games. And if you're not allowed to celebrate when you win a game, when you're allowed to celebrate, then I think um, yeah, uh, we're happy with the win, and uh, we'll stay humble and we keep working hard, and uh, we prepare for the next one now. But of course, you have to be happy when you win. Kaya, Arteta said last week he was concerned by Thomas Partey's latest injury setback. I think you can add to that now. We saw Jesus again yesterday missing out and then Zinchenko coming off at half-time. Firstly, yes, they're winning without these three, which is impressive. But how difficult is it when they're three key players in your... Yeah, they play, don't they? They're starting players in Arsenal's best eleven, But he can't rely on any any of them for a prolonged period of time, can he? It's a big issue. Um, I don't think any of us consider Jesus a, an injury-prone player in the way that we all 
probably would say Zinchenko has been throughout his career and, and, and Partey has been throughout his Arsenal career at least. But um, it's becoming a bit of an issue now that Arsenal can't really rely on Jesus for more than seemingly five, six games at a time. And um, they're having to manage his minutes very carefully. And given that they haven't really got the strength and depth beneath him, as we've spoken about, yes, there are options, but maybe not the same qualities. Um, it's a real issue. And he's so key to how Arsenal play. He's so important to what Arsenal do. And similar to Zinchenko, I know Kivio had a really good game when he came on yesterday, but we all know that in the long run, Kivio is not the answer at left back. Tommy Asu is coming back, which should improve things for Arsenal and they'll have a bit of depth there. So I think in the fullback positions, they're actually okay. And I think the same in the midfield positions. I think Jorginho, as we've spoken about, is a, a really good option who can come in and, and play instead of Partey. So I don't think that's uh, too big an issue in those two areas. But I think up front, Arsenal have a real issue. They need to go out and, and sign someone in the summer when they've got money again. It's, it's not a hot take to say that. We all know that and we'd all agree with it. The question over who they go out and sign is big because do you go out and sign someone who will start instead of Jesus? Do you sign someone who will start with Jesus? You know, that that decision is going to be really important and that that next signing. I remember us a couple of years ago when Arsenal got Jesus and everyone was talking about this striker signing has to be the right one. The next striker signing also has to be really, really good for Arsenal. And yes, we've spoken about what it means for Eddie and Ketia. I don't really know what that means for his long-term future at Arsenal, but I think clearly Arteta doesn't fully trust the options behind Jesus um, in terms of out-and-out strikers in the Arsenal squad. So I think he wants to improve. He wants to add another player. And I think Arsenal need to do it because if you want to compete on multiple fronts, you can't have your striker and, and vice-captain as well getting injured every four or five games. It just can't happen. It's also that the Zinchenko and Jesus effect that's been mentioned, you know, ad nauseum on here and in other places of these guys Oh, they can still, I suppose, have some impact with the, you know, the history of winning trophies and the experience they've got. Can they add to, to a title challenge even, even if they're not on the pitch, if that makes sense? Yeah, I get the point. Um, I think, yes, my answer would be. Um, obviously, we're not privy to what goes on behind closed doors at London Corny. Shoba, <laughs> Shoba, please, Shoba. <laughs> First one, sorry. <laughs> um, but I, I do feel like there would still be an impact because there are certain things about being in the title race that they can impart on younger players that they wouldn't have, I guess, understood beforehand. Obviously, that's probably a little bit watered down now with um, the experience of last season but there will still be certain nuances, I think, that they'd be able to understand a bit better than a Saka or a Martinelli, for instance. Um, but without them on the pitch, it's just a completely different conversation as well because they they almost put Arsenal in a catch-22 situation where they're so integral to the way Arsenal play when they're available that when they're not when they're not there you almost have to just completely change um the way you approach a game um which isn't necessarily a bad thing but it can be a little bit jarring um so when kaya talks about the type of striker you bring in i don't think it's going to be someone who completely replicates what jesus does but you want someone who would be able to complement him and also 
bring, I guess, their own qualities to the table. So I guess these are the types of conversations and thoughts that Arteta and Edu are going to have at length and probably have already been having um, going into the summer because it is a really, a really big task um, that they have to get right. I think I'm going back. I think it might have been Bournemouth away last year, right near the start of the season. Zinchenko missed it and Kieran Tierney played. And it was there was this expectation Tierney came in and they tr- he tried to play a bit like Zinchenko and it just didn't work because he isn't like Zinchenko. He's a left back. He gets up and down the pitch. It, is there a worry that these players are so specific? Like I was mentioning there, they're so specific. They're so integral to the way Arteta wants to play. You said yesterday we saw Jakub Kivior playing left back and he had a good game when he came on for, for Zinchenko. But if you're having to then change the role of the player coming in, it automatically alters the role of other people around them in the team, doesn't it? Yes, uh, I, I agree with that. But I, I don't think... So, yeah, for an Arteta team, the, the combinations are obviously massive and, and how the team will play together is big and he doesn't look at individuals, he looks at as a collective and, and that's probably one of Arsenal's greatest strengths and, and why he's been able to get possibly more than the sum of its parts out of these players. Although I think, you know, these are definitely title-challenging players. However, I do think when it comes to fullback positions, Arsenal's options are pretty strong and they've got different players who can do different things. And I think that's exactly what Arteta wants. He wants it in every position on the pitch. And I remember um, Sam Dean asked Arteta about um, the absence of Partey and Timber and his his big issue wasn't necessarily not having the bodies in the squad. It was not having the unpredictability. And that's what Arteta wants from, from every area of his squad. He wants... Um, he wants to keep the opposition guessing. As, as we know, unfortunately, when it comes to team news, he wants to keep the opposition guessing. So it's exactly the same when it comes to tactics. And if you look at Man City and you look at Liverpool, you kind of can't guess what their team's going to be week to week. Obviously, there are a few players who play every single week, like De Bruyne will play for City when he's fit. Um, Van Dijk will play for Liverpool when he's fit. But there are lots of you know interchangeables and, and lots of players who can, who can play whenever and, and, and wherever. And, and, and Arsenal want to get to that level. And I think they're, they're getting there slowly, but surely. Talking about getting to levels, let's see how Art and Kaya fare with this week's guest, Aguna. Um, for new listeners or people that just forgot, we will, well, I will in particular, read out a list of clues that pertain to a current or former Arsenal player. And it's up to the guys to shout out their guesses as we go along. <laughs> so let's go and play Guess the Guna. I started my senior professional career in 2005 and moved to Arsenal just a year later. I played 153 times in total for Arsenal and scored 11 goals. Kaya, I'm going to I'm going to take a swing and potentially a miss. Abu Dhabi Incorrect. But swinging a swinging a missing's fine. I captained my country to the runners-up spot at the 2005 Under-17 World Cup. However, I never represented my country at any higher age group. I didn't win any silverware at Arsenal, but did collect two losers' medals in League Cup finals. Um, 
I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna have another swing and potentially a miss. The Nielsen. Very happy, very happy. Uh, I'll run through the last few clues. Oh. I'll give me a shout if you'd have got any of these. Um, my final trophy in football was in 2015-16 when I won the UAE League Cup. No, I also no, no, no. played in Malta before retiring in 2020. No. Nah. Upon signing for the club, Arsene Wenger likened me to a cross between Thomas Rosicki and Gilberto Silva. Thomas Rosicki? <laughs> so when you yeah. said... When you said the clue that Kai had got it on, I was like trying to get through the starting eleven mm. for the Carlin Cup final. <laughs> so I, I'd got to Traore, and I was like, "No, surely you wouldn't have captured." <laughs> <laughs> and the last clue, which we always like to put in there, so hopefully if we get that far, was I joined Arsenal from and left Arsenal for Sao Paulo, which I think yeah. would have been the one where everyone got them. But Kaya, strong, strong performance from you there. Swinging for the yeah. fences. Um, guys, we'll be back on Thursday, as is our new plan. Uh, we will look forward to that West Ham game. We'll have a few new little bits and bobs as well. But until then, stay safe, everyone.